Okay, let's enter the matrix. <laughs> We're already in it. Namo tasa bhagavato arato samma sambudasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arato samma sambudasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arato samma sambudasa. Sake of all beings, wisdom, compassion, and non-clinging awareness. So, this, uh, this evening, sort of, finish with the uh, section on the moon and water. We'll come up again and again and again. You know how these things keep being reborn? But to start, do you have any questions about what you've been experimenting with or trying out? the moon and water. Yes. You have to speak you have to speak up for people. It's actually a question from the contemplating illusion through loving all of life. I didn't write that. It says Lama Mark. So it could be somebody some other Lama Mark woman. It's possible. Go ahead. I'll try to answer it. It's, um, uh, he wrote that then, and now is now. <laughs> it's from a paragraph called Wake Up the Experience of Awareness. Yeah, so what's, what's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so? <laughs> well, well, okay, what's the question about that? Uh, it's, it's kind of jumped out at me. It, may I? Did it grab you? Yeah, it, it grabbed Okay. Me. What sort of grab? <laughs> Nothing really, just an illusion. Okay, next question. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, we must sharpen our mindfulness to resolve experience by the fraction of a second. Ultra short intervals of experience. What does that look like exactly? You tell me. That's why that's why I made that statement so that you you could do it. So that I could do it. Yeah. Well, the way it looks, the so way like it looks like to me is that as one goes through one's day, uh, one looks across the lake and sees a volcano, or they call it a volcano, <laughs> even though it's an illusion of a greater truth. That's the razor sharp to resolve experience by a fraction of a second the experience of looking at yes uh, but it's what I've been talking about um, a lot with you is that to see the cracks see the uh, holes the cracks the discrepancies in ordinary habitual consciousness requires slowing way 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 down seeing things that you've never seen before, moving very slowly, getting the consciousness to move slowly, getting the physiology to settle down. And when that happens, one begins to see that one does not necessarily see or experience anywhere near the full view. That's, that's what that means. We have to do that. This is absolutely fundamental for um, insight meditation is slowing way, way, way down. And that is why 
not tomorrow, but the next day, uh, Monday, you'll have no classes and no session in the afternoon and a full day to just slow way, way down and uh, take the th- some of the themes that you want to work with, a few, in the day, and, and go for it. Because uh, to do this work deeply, the classes are good, or I, I guess they're good, or what I don't mean that way. The classes are maybe important for you, but also you need, also all of us need time to have periods of uninterrupted contemplation. Okay? But I do mean fractions of a second. 100 millisecond level, catching things you've never, ever, ever caught before. Again and again and again until things begin to break up. Let me give you an example. Here's one you can do. Very fundamental to insight, med- insight practice, insight meditation, insight realization. We normally don't see the relationship, well this is tonight's talk, but uh, part of it, is we normally don't see the relationship between the concept that we have and the form that is perceived. You see? Mm-hmm. Nama Rupa. Rupa Nama. We don't see the form and the concept. It's too fast. So normally we're walking too fast, we're moving too fast. For instance, we do. We normally do something like this. Uh, well, I am just What were you saying? Without any conscious awareness that the intent mind controls the body and how it picks up the cup, when it will pick up the cup, and so on. So the consciousness is actually shaping the entire movement and form of this body and how it's actually having a conversation. Did you see? If we don't slow down, we might see that once or twice and go, oh, okay. Or, or hear it. But unless you do it maybe hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and catch how an emotion shapes the step, how a feel of the mind places the foot, how the posture of the body is actually shaped by consciousness, how consciousness at any given time can shift and the entire posture shifts, how the voice can shift with any change in physiology and feeling tone. Did you, see, did you see? If you don't slow down, you will only catch it occasionally, but never come to a full-blown, oh my God, this is how a being is shaped, how karma works. Not a, not a bloody, as my beloved teacher would say, not a bloody age, you know. No way. Not possible. So that's fractions of a second. So you need to move very, very slowly and get the physiology to settle down so that these uh, qualities, which are there all the time, just become more and more clearly apparent and don't become, oh my God, that's a mystical experience, to, oh yeah, normal operating procedure. Just absolutely, this is actually the way it is. And my God, how come others can't see it? Why? It's moving way too fast. Most of our lives are designed to go, or not designed, but are, have arisen in a way 
or, or evolved in a way, that make uh, contemplative life, contemplative work, not really feasible. You're a rare breed, you know. To take a month, people, uh, the other day I was in conversation with someone uh, at Panzaverde after breakfast, and I, they said, well, what are you doing? And in, in why, you know, they were asking why this is closed, because they wanted to actually stay here. I said, well, there's a month's meditation retreat. A month's meditation retreat? Yeah. A month? A month? I said, that's short, very short. But society is moving, for, uh, uh, moving in a way that the idea of deep contemplation for many is totally, that's like saying, we're going to go to Pluto, there's, there's, a, there's a U.S. Um, uh, space mission to Pluto? Are you kidding? Do you know how, what that's going to cost? <laughs> Nobody could do that. That's what I get. Do you have any idea? What, they, let me, they let me know. Do you have any idea what it's going to cost? And you know, nobody could do that. Oh, oh, yeah, they must be all wealthy. They all must be independently wealthy. Like this, you know. No, no, actually, most of them aren't. As a matter of fact, very few. Belief system. And for some, that belief system will never allow them to enter the gate of Dharma. Isn't that amazing? Imagine, just that belief system alone will keep them from ever doing more than maybe a weekend retreat or a week retreat, because that's what can be afforded, and that's the time they can take off in their career. Is it? So yeah, millisecond level. Yeah. One little attachment to this. Uh, in terms of diet. Diet? Diet. Yes. Yeah. In, in terms of slowing down. So... Is it best to stay away from coffee and tea and sugar and stuff like that? No, 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 more coffee, <laughs> more sugar. Uh, I, I'm quite in favor of more tea, in fact. Gallons of coffee. Gallons of coffee. No, oh, why would I make a prescription? I mean, I could, but I could do what other groups. You know, you can only have one cup of coffee in the morning, and you're allowed to have two cups of tea, and you can have three tablespoons of sugar. But you're adults. You're adults. You're not children. So you must, this is part of liberation, you must figure out what is ethically appropriate to your physiology. Just because Nicolina here can drink five or six cup of coffee a day, espressos, and no disturbance whatsoever. None. Doesn't mean that Jamie should even have more than one cup of coffee a day, or half a cup of coffee a day, because he cannot handle it. No. Clearly cannot. No. Everybody's different. I mean, I've heard from, from uh, students of mine that in France and Germany, there's a, a Zen um, Roshi, who's French, who, when you go for supper uh, at the at the in the in the retreats, you have a glass of wine with your meal. <laughs> Whoa, you know, <laughs> well for him he's been raised that way. Probably two glasses, you know, a glass of wine and at lunch and a glass of wine at supper. It's part of the normal cultural meal. It's actually healthy for you, right? But people, go, oh, isn't that cool? It's not cool. It's just 
Why not? If you can handle it, maybe only half a glass, maybe a quarter glass, maybe nothing. That's that's what I like about liberation. Not rules, some rules. Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, you know? No sexual misconduct, right? And don't take intoxicants that befuddle the mind. So for you, maybe half a cup of coffee will befuddle the mind, but for someone else, it will be a quarter of a cup. So why make a rule? If you want to have a beer, I don't mind. I don't mind. Have a beer. If it's if it doesn't in any way interfere with the clarity of your mind. Do you see? And coffee might actually, or tea, or a bit of sugar, may be the best thing in the world for you. Yeah, because we need we need sugar. But how much? Everybody's different. Does that make sense? Everybody's different. People want rules, but they don't necessarily want liberation. Liberation is finding out what works for you, but that may change in a week. And that may change in a month. Just because Anne can drink two or three bottles of beer every day in retreat now, it could change in a week. Right? I like this dog going on tape. Yeah. <laughs> just because she drinks, <laughs> straight, straight. Yeah. Just, just because she drinks three or four, probably three or four bottles of beer every day in retreat, doesn't mean maybe, maybe you'll get so your channel so clear and glowing that in another two weeks you'll be able to have ten bottles of beer a day. You'll be like the laughing yogini. No, I'm, you know, I'm joking, but, but. That's, you've got to work all that out for yourself. All that, so it doesn't harm you, it doesn't harm anybody else, it doesn't create discord, it doesn't create um, internal conflict, external conflict. All that must be seen, otherwise we're going to have 40 or 50 different rules in retreat. How you sit, when you walk, when you do this, ring the bell in the morning, get up at 4, get, no, get up at 3.30, go to bed at 12, could do that. And for some of you, you'd find that really good because you've got boundaries. But it's not particularly our tradition. I want you to find out what your natural boundaries are and what's good for you. Ten hours of meditation a day, of sessions a day, may be better than 15, but somebody else does 16 or 17. Doesn't mean that they're a better meditator. Maybe they're actually not as good. <laughs> Yeah, just 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 putting in more time, but there may not actually be as as efficient. Do you see? Throw it out. Throw it out for what? How do you liberate? Only one way. There's only one way for liberation. It's awareness. The Buddha taught that. Great teachers have taught that, and my beloved great teacher Namjoon Rinpoche taught that. Number one, awareness. That's what liberates. Rules and rituals don't, but they help certain beings. Thank goodness. Precepts help many, many beings grow. So it's number one precept. Don't harm. That's all. All the rest flow from that. All the precepts of the layperson, of the novice, monk or nun, uh, of the fully ordained monk, all spreads from what? Don't harm. In the highest yoga tantras, what's, where are they all spread from? The state of awakening. Pristine awareness. Any other questions?
that take care of that? Whoever that fellow was that wrote that? Almost, almost got to, <laughs> yes. So, when you experience the glitches, yep. you, you keep staying with that... Glitch? Glitch? If you can, as long as it's, as long as it's present. Mm-hmm. And then you see it's not a glitch, it's just actually the way things are. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is an interesting experience now, maybe in a week or two, or a month or a year, absolutely, uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh. Why? Enough times, enough times, enough times. But sometimes only once or twice. The the organism seems to react, like it just shakes it up. Yes, so it's... So you just keep working until it no longer is affecting? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like um, it's like saying I'll go to the cemetery. I'm I'm fearful of the cemetery. You go for one night, you react and you go oh, I did it. That's what it's like. But no, you go back and back and back and back and back until it's okay. Done. That's professional. Done. It's done. It's done. That's good. That's really good work. Done. But sometimes these little glitches, these discrepancies are not easy to repeat, right? So you have to wait. You have to be patient and just wait until they happen. They may not happen the same way. But things are there are things that are very repeatable. For instance, impermanence, arising and passing away, is absolutely repeatable phenomena you can do all day long without break. Okay? But the experience of that may come and go until it starts to get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Any others? Yes? You mentioned, I think two days ago, that when you have your eyes closed when you're in the dark, you still have visions. Still have visions? Yeah. Yes. What's the purpose of a dark retreat? Can you ask that near the end of the retreat? Yeah, ask that near the end of the retreat. It's, like it's, a, it's an important question to ask that at the end. Better, better to go through all of this first and then say, what would it be like to do a retreat with there's no visual stimulus at all from the outside? That'd be, that'd be good. Okay. the text. So I left off (coughs) uh, in many different directions this morning, but let's come back to images in the moon. Images in the moon. Because I'm going to return to the reflection, so-called reflection of the moon in the water a number of times, but I want to talk about apparent phenomena and assumptions and belief systems, how powerful they are. If you don't have a feel for it now, we'll make it even deeper. Sometimes the animal is depicted as a usual sitting hare 
as in the painting reproduced at the beginning of this chapter. Sometimes the rabbit stands up and uses a pestle to compound the nectar of immortality. So you may, people see all kinds of things in the moon. Uh, once when I was in China, I went to uh, Guilin, where there's many caves. And I went on a cave tour. And the guide, who is a Chinese woman, every single stalagmite and stalactite had a story and something that you could see. It was quite amazing. So every single minute, do you see the hair in the stalagmite? This is Confucius. This is, look at the cloud formation. And I swear it was amazing. Going, There's no stalagmite or stalactite there. It's simply another thing you're supposed to see. I'm not exaggerating. All the way through the tour. It was absolutely Do you look at the uh, jeweled city? I see lovely lights lighting up stalactites. Thank you. Look at the city. It's the such and such city. It's all lit up and, you know, nothing. And other people on the tour, you know, oh, oh, can you show us exactly where it is in the stalactite? Of course, there is no image of anything in the moon, neither man, nor woman, nor cow, nor rabbit, nor anything else. Would anybody disagree? Are there cows on the moon? Is there a hare presently active, giant hare, like Harvey, <laughs> lying across the moon day after day after day holding the same position? <laughs> nor anything else at all. All of these diverse images are a product of a psychological condition called periodola. That's the technical name, periodola. How many periodolas happen per day? Not just with the moon. How many periodolas, count them, happen in a single day? Let's, let's explore for, further how profound this is. Periodola is the superimposition of a pattern on something that is patternless, such as blobs of ink on a page, Rorschach test, right? designed to be random, clouds. Anybody see chariots go across the sky in clouds? Oh, yeah, I have. Dragons, three dragons. You know, you're in a retreat and you, you see three dragons in a row. That's suspicious. <laughs> when you retreat, everything everything becomes auspicious. Did you see the rainbow over there? Whoa, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, then you you know three rainbow elephants. That's because you've been drinking the from the skull cup too much. Yeah. Elephants going across. Yeah. Po- you're being poisoned by creosote. You know, slowly, you know, drip 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 drip. Or the marks on the surface of the moon. Our minds project an image onto the collection of the dark spots on the moon, thereby creating something that does not exist. Our ability to see faces in many essentially random arrangements of marks is very likely hardwired in our brains. Faces are hardwired. Have you found that you're interested in faces? We study faces. 
we need to. When do we start studying faces? When? Baby. Is it important? Oh, it's critical. Yeah, absolutely critical. So, if you are a regularly, normally hardwired human, faces are very important. How about the cute faces of a little bunny rabbit? Oh, so cute! All those young little animals, right? The the the, the overwhelming emotional reaction to a, to a little baby cow. But when they get older, okay. <laughs> animals with such an ability have a clear evolutionary advantage. For newborn infants, it is useful to be able to react quickly to the mother's face, while in later life, the ability to recognize swiftly different facial expressions is essential in social interaction. Correct? Makes perfect sense, eh? So why are we always looking for faces in things? I've seen examples of, you know, faces in a wood pattern, you know, a skull. It's a rocket launcher of some type. Of it's okay. It's a bazooka. Yeah, lots of bazookas around here. Yeah, just keep your head down. Okay. So. Uh, a skull cup that I was that I bought had a um, almost a perfect wrathful face in it. Yes, like amazing. But what's happened to it? It's, kind of it's soaked out. <laughs> it's soaked out. Was it there? Hmm. How about? Trees. How many tree trunks have you seen where you go, look at the face, look at the person, look at the spirit image. Yeah? And then you go up to it and you go, it's nothing of the sort. But you stand back a certain distance, oh yeah, I can see it. Other people, yeah, I can see it. Look at the tara in there. Have you been to caves where there's clearly a tara emerging from the rock, right? Kind of. Yeah, sort of. We like to do this. There, it's okay. They're just shooting. <laughs> Is it Sunday? Sunday, something special on Sunday, or just, just, just sorry, Saturday? It's just Saturday. Night and I just got yeah. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> According to the Buddhist view. Our conception of the self as an illusory projection, I talked about this morning, we'll go over it again, of the same, uh, has the same quality as the projection of images onto the moon. How so? Okay. Just like we project belief onto things, we laugh, right? Would you laugh if you discovered that uh, your feelings are fleeting projections of consciousness? Would you laugh? But no, we don't, do we? <laughs> Pretty funny, isn't it? Onto the basis of a changing and ephemeral collection of physical and psychological events, we project the notion of a permanent self underlying our bodies, our thoughts, feelings, desires, and beliefs. Would you say that most people actually have a feeling that the experience of self is relatively permanent through life? Yeah. That the self they had last week yeah. is the self, same self they had today? 
would you say that the same self was a year ago? Mm. Same self. Relatively the same self. You know, just maybe a little bit altered because the personality is a little bit altered, but it's that. There's a continuity, would you say? Yeah. And how about years ago? Mm-hmm. Do you have a feeling for that? Mm-hmm. Do you feel that it's going to be relatively the same next year? Or when you wake up tomorrow morning? Is that... Mm-hmm. Yeah? Where does that come from? And could it be, could it be, are you willing to entertain the possibility that that's like the light bulb on in the refrigerator. But you're going to have to have a lot of evidence, aren't you, to change your mind. Isn't that right? How many hours are going to be required to observe this self that feels so solid and real, or ephemeral but real? That's That's our main mission. It may be more than a weekend retreat. It may be more than a week. For instance, these explosions, mm-hmm. does it make anybody uncomfortable? Some. Why react? Is there a threat? Is there a threat? But there may be a belief system that there's a threat. Right? Yeah. But is there a threat? The intellect says no, but what does the organism say? How about people that go boating or flying or something else? Or in in a reef with sharks? The intellect says those are reef sharks. Those are reef sharks. Have you ever had that? Reef sharks all around coming up to you? Nice 12 foot, 15 foot reef sharks? The intellect says, they're just fine because you've been told they're safe. (laughs) But what does the organism do? (laughs) Especially when when you turn around. You turn around on a reef, and and it's like right here. Uh, Excuse me. Yeah. But you're told they're not going to bite, Right? But do you, or a silver tip? Or, they, maybe they don't know. Their relation of desires, beliefs, and so on, their relation to the self is what makes our bodies our bodies. Our bodies. We need to examine this. Our thoughts, and so forth. Our feelings, my feeling. So what do we need to do to examine whether the light bulb is on in the refrigerator? A few minutes? Yeah, I I looked at self. Yeah, okay, done. (laughs) But... If the self-experience is as close as the nose and is with all day long, do you think it's a weekend exercise? Do you think it's a week program? Maybe something that you learn in a year at university or something like that? No. It's so fundamental to the fabric of existence 
that's going to take time to unravel it. And you've got to be serious about it. And you've got to be daring. And you've got to have some guts. Instead of, I'm waiting. Using this notion of a self, we are able to unify our diverse sensory perceptions to establish the boundaries of our bodies. Why do we need to establish the boundaries of our body? Why would it be? Why would it make evolutionary sense to know it's our body? What would be what would be an adva- advantage to say? What kind of protection? Our, our body, not a body, our body. Why? Why do we need to know that? Exactly. Burnt, damaged. Do you know there's people that have a, a um, compulsive disorder where they eat their fingers? Do you know that? Yeah. Start nibble. Except the nibble, the biting the nail, doesn't stop. And actually they eat the flesh. They can't stop. They have to eat, eat the flesh off the fingers. They can't stop. Right into the bone. And if you ask them what's going on, they don't know it's their body. There's a disconnect. So it's actually really important for many, many evolutionary reasons to know it's your body. Protect your body. How about feelings? Is there a reason to protect fe- to protect your feelings? Go, I feel hurt. you got to look at this. Is there a reason to go, these are my thoughts? Maybe, you see. So there may be an evolutionary advantage to go, these are my perceptions, these are my sensations, these are my physical sensations, these are my thoughts. Did you follow? And a good evolutionary reason to design a human being the way it's designed. But that doesn't mean it isn't a fiction, a fabrication that causes suffering. But it makes sense in terms of what? Remember what I said this morning? Gathering food, economics, mating, and supporting family structure. Makes sense, yes? But it may not actually make sense in terms of the way reality is. And if you take a look at the way people behave and act and think, there is a massive amount of suffering around us. Massive. Enormous. So it makes sense to protect the body against some damage, but does it make sense to protect the body so it's sick and can't eat? Or starves itself to death? Or doesn't get enough income? Or fails at what it... Do you see? And so on and so on. All the different kinds of neuroses or psychoses. That doesn't make any sense. Do you see what I'm saying? That doesn't make any sense. So the suffering that can build around a false self is enormous. To establish how tall we are, is that important? Do we ever need to know how tall we are? We bump into things, we may actually uh, have a concussion. Have you ever stepped off a step and you missed stepped? Mm -hmm. Because you didn't know where the foot was? You can break a hip. You could die. It's that important to know to the millimeter where the extent and parts of the body are. 
But does that mean that that's actually where they are? No, as it turns out. How fast we can run and so forth. All this is of eminent importance for survival. Nevertheless, the Buddhist, let's say the aware practitioner of Dharma, will want to argue that apart from its pragmatic use, there is no self. But would you agree there's no self? For instance, if you see a moon in the water, is there no reflection in the water? We may know there's no moon, right? Some of us. But is there something there? And some will say, who's very, very into Buddhist philosophy, well, there's no moon either. But does that mean there isn't something? So let's try this. Instead of saying no self, because you know, I don't know if you know this, that when the Buddha was asked if there's a self, he neither affirmed nor denied it. He did teach anatta, which is empty nature of self, but he never denied the existence of the self. He would not do that. Why? Because if you deny the existence of it, you take an extreme point of view. Just as you take an extreme point of view when you say, there's nothing to be seen in the water, it's just reflection. That's an extreme point. It's wrong view. There is something in the water. What is it? Something's happening, correct? Is is there? Would you say some phenomenon is happening? Yes. Can you describe it? And do you know what it is right now? No. But we know there's some kind of phenomena. That's what's important. So to say that there's absolutely no self at all is not actually a correct view. To say that there is a self, a real self, is not a correct view. Let's let's correct this now. To say that there is an illusory self-formation is correct, and it has a function. But it doesn't mean it's anything more than a projected temporary figment. Because then you'll say, well, yeah, but our bodies exist. Are you so sure? Are you so sure that you have a absolutely real body? Or is what you experience a completely imagined body? We're going to show you this retreat, I hope, that most of what you experience is an imaginary body. That solid thing that you go, my body, is totally an imagination on your part. Even when it gets hurt, it's imagination. The Buddhist. I love that one. The Buddhist. Anybody here? Buddhist? The Buddhist. The Buddhist will want to argue that apart from its pragmatic use, there is no self in the same way as there is no image in the moon apart from the mythological narrative or aesthetic uses the projection of such images might have. That means apart from the apart from the usefulness of saying there's a man in the moon or a woman in the moon or hair in the moon, that's about all there is. It's about that empty. 
It is by assuming that such a self is real that suffering is produced. Let's not use the word assumption. Let's use the word the conditioned habitual belief that 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 experience of self and something to protect is real causes suffering. Now, let's examine that. Is it important to know the limit or the the scale of the body? Is it important to know how far the arm extends or where the head is? Yes. Let's let's go further. Is it important to know how pointy one's ears are? Is it important to know where the tips of the ears are? Maybe you need to know that. They might get cut off on a blade somewhere. Yes? Or in a door jam? Especially with these ears? All right? But do you need to know that the ears are pointy, Spock-like ears? Do you see the difference? Now we have a connotation, my ears with a belief system. How much of the body is tainted by not where the body is, not the limits of the body, not how the body feels sensorily, but what? Tainted by a view of the body that has nothing to do with how the body is. Do you, do you, do you see? Feelings that are sensations and thoughts that are no more than sensation or thoughts, but tainted by what? Conditioned habitual view. So it's not just, as he says here, assuming. Is it assuming for you that you have a self? No, it's a given. But what's given? Given is the belief system about these self things. That causes the suffering. Because clearly, it doesn't make any sense to say, well, if you walk off a step and you misstep and you break your leg, well, that's, that's, that's not important. No, it is important. That's important. It is important that you disinfect your water here in the sink water. Why? Because you get sick. But does, but does there have to be an emotional jag about it? This is the important part. By realizing the absence of self, I don't agree. By realizing the illusory nature of self, that's different. Not the absence of self. Why? Because the self keeps appearing, even for enlightened beings. There's a relative self. Is it important? Yes. Does it exist? No. But we don't use, that's an incorrect term. Does it truly exist? Does it substantially exist? No. Does it apparently appear as a self? Yes. This is very important. The language is very important. Watch the language. Is there no self? No. There is an apparent self as there are images in water, as there are images on the moon. But we clearly know there are not. Okay. By realizing the illusory nature of self, I'm reading into this, 
like seeing the moon empty of images, the moon empty of images. How are we going to find out that the self is an illusory phenomena, that the actual image of body, image, did I say limits? No. Image of body, experience of body is illusory. Feelings, the experience of feelings is illusory. The experience of thought is illusory. How are we going to find that out? We have to realize it by study, by contemplating it again and again and again to see if it's actually a solidly existing phenomena or a fleeting projection of the mind. Did you, did you follow? And how are we going to do that? We have to collect enough evidence. It's the only way you're going to be convinced. Right? Isn't that right? Isn't that how most things happen in life? You collect enough evidence and you're convinced. It's actually not true. Most things happen in life, there's not, not nearly enough evidence, just belief systems. But to change your minds, I suspect there's going to have to be enough evidence on this point. Like seeing the moon empty of images, I like that, the moon emptied out of images. Emptied out. We obtain liberation and freedom from suffering. Absolutely. Now let me tell you, I'm going to create all through this retreat examples of the falsity of view. Should we create one? Let's let's try it. How many people like cheese? Anybody like cheese here? Who likes blue cheese? Has anybody ever had mite cheese? Do you know how mite cheese is made? Mites? Mites are little bugs that you normally don't want to have. And the mite cheese is, first of all, grown with a fungus. And then in the cave or the cool room, they get mites. And the mites go all over the surface and burrow in to the cheese. I heard that. Yeah, now I know it. Have you had it? It's a European delicacy. I had it in Vienna. We had it, remember? We had, I bought some mite cheese from that man in the square. It was pretty, pretty stinky, but it was delicious. Now, how do you feel about mite cheese? Mmm. <laughs> look at this. Ah! There's no bugs in it. But there's no bugs in it. It was completely washed clean. So if you hear mite cheese made with mites, you might go, ooh, bugs. You might, but you might not. <laughs> Once you know, and the person says to you, by the way, all the mites are washed off, there's no mites in there, you may want to try it. But your belief system may be such that, ooh, don't want to have it. Or if someone tells you the blue cheese that you're having is full of fungus and bacteria, all those blue little channels, well, that's an infection that you're eating. Did you know that? Yeah, it's a stinky infection of bacteria and fungus that you are ingesting. <coughs> a good reaction. What is it? It's the belief system, isn't it? Belief system, belief system, belief system, belief system. So next time you feel bad about yourself, what is it? Do you have now the guts 
the strength to go, wait a minute, that's a belief system. Or how good you are, that's a belief system. Or how you feel. Do you all know, do, do you all have good examples of your life where you felt a certain way? We're Westerners, we were down, okay? Westerners, not, not we, were, we weren't happy, we were down. Westerners, right? Because they usually take the negative side, okay? We're down. Have you ever had the experience where someone's come along and you're down? You're moody, you're down, you're sad, and someone comes along and just says, hi, how are you, and holds your hand or gives you a handshake or maybe puts their arm around you? What happens? You can feel just within how many seconds? Half a second, that's all it takes. And all of a sudden it's like, do you remember what it's like to be sad? That's gone. But before that, what was the belief system? I'm sad. Half a second later, I'm elated. Thank you very much. Let's take the moon again. I'm not going to spend too much time on the moon because he spends five or six or seven pages about illusions concerned with the moon. But it's long and interesting and drawn out. But it's not the where I'd like to go with this. So it's all right. More illusions, illusions, illusions. How? Why? For instance, the question is, which has never been supposedly perfectly solved in terms of physics, astronomy, biology, and perception, is why does a moon that has the same size appear to be different sizes at different times. This has never been really solved, revolved, because it has to do with perception, has to do with atmospheric changes, all kinds of things, with about four or five different disciplines, and no one's ever given an argument which has been con convincing to all disciplines. Everybody's it's always been poked holes in it, like, nope, that doesn't work, nope, that doesn't work. So I'm not going to go there. Besides that, I believe it's a bit of a deviation. But I do want to say that the projection of images onto the moon is not just confined to the history of mythology and folklore. You want to hear a good one by a scientist? Here's a good one. Galileo. Good observer, right? Galileo was known as an amazingly accurate, unbiased observer. Except for a few details. He drew a sketch of the moon within a very, very large crater that he perfectly described and observed again and again and again. And it was about like the shape of Bohemia, he called it. Right? And placed it right in the center of the moon. About the same size that you could see from Earth. But he was using a telescope. And published it. I'll read it to you. There's another thing which I must, I must not omit, for I beheld it not without a certain wonder. This is that almost in the center of the moon there is a cavity larger than all the rest and perfectly round in shape. I have observed it near, near both first and last quarters and have tried to represent it as correctly as possible in the second of the above figures. As to the light and shade, it offers the same appearance as would a region like Bohemia. If that were enclosed on all sides by, a very, by very lofty mountains arranged 
exactly in a circle. Indeed, this area on the moon is surrounded by such enormous peaks that the bounding edge adjacent to the dark portion of the moon is seen to be bathed in sunlight before the boundary of light and shadow reaches halfway across the same space. Interesting enough, he was observing that with his telescope. But it was a size that you could observe with the naked eye from Earth. How did that happen for such a good observer? There's no such thing on the moon. Not, go take a look at the moon. There's no large, big, round, perfectly round crater in the center of the moon. So how did that happen? Okay, one explanation. Something wrong with the telescope. A blur. Well, they've looked at those kinds. Of, there's no, not possible. Okay, even with a blur, you could still see with the naked eye. How come he wasn't challenged right away? So what's the what's if you eliminate all the possibilities? Oh, cataracts in his eyes? Doubt it. So, floaters? No, not a perfect, not a perfect circle. He's going to draw out and, and observe uh, month after month after month. I mean, his observation was amazing. This man was a very very careful observer. Possibly he wasn't challenged because others did see something with the naked eye. Possibly. Yep. Possibly. But where would that have come from? How is it that he would see it night after night after night? What do we do where we see things again and again and again that aren't there? We have a prior assumption of what we're going to see, and we see it. That's the only reasonable explanation that's ever been given. If you have a strong enough belief system, you see it, you hear it, you feel it, you taste it, touch it. I want you to go and experiment with this and catch the times where your belief system gives you a false image, sound, taste, touch, or feeling, or idea that's pretty constant, day after day after day, and it gets shattered because the illusion gets shattered. Okay? Can you think of any? Do you have any, Barry, do you want to share? I mean, this can be embarrassing for some, but, but it's okay. It's something that's not too embarrassing. Have you ever had this happen in your life? Something that you believe to be quite real, you find out was based on nothing more than a belief system or assumption, and it fell apart. Do you have any that you want to share? Yes. You believe in Santa Claus? I did. Yep, Okay. There's a good one. Mil how many millions of children believe in Santa Claus because they've been told about it? And it gets evaporated. Yeah? Did you ever see Santa Claus or evidence of Santa Claus? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Why? Because the presents were there? There's the presence, the chimney, all the factors were right, right? To see some evidence. What kind of evidence do we need to assume there's a real Santa Claus? How many bits of evidence? This is very important to understand how we operate all day long. Maybe a story from someone who we believe in. A story from someone we believe in, right? An authority figure. Mm -hmm. Something written in a book because it's published. Or in Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know someone who told me, want to hear this? Dear, dear, dear lovely student. I mean that. He said to me one day uh, before, just after supper, I said, 
uh, he's getting up, where are you going? I'm going to bed. It's 8 o'clock. Oh yeah, I'm, I go to bed at 8 o'clock. This person's in their 20s. I said, is there a disorder? No, I go to bed at 8 o'clock, or roughly 8 o'clock. What time do you get up? About 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, are you especially fatigued or... No. I said, well, where, why do you do that? I read it on the internet. I'm supposed <laughs> to have 10 hours of sleep a night. Something like that. It, was like, it wasn't even 8, it was like 10. I read on the internet this article about you're supposed to have like 10 hours of sleep. Oh, I see. How about 9 hours? No, no, 10. What would happen if you went to bed at 9? No, I, I'm, I'm supposed to have 10. Okay. What what is the site that you read? Because you know last year you're supposed to be getting eight hours of sleep. Now this year it's ten. Maybe next year it'll be twelve. Maybe next year it'll be twenty-four <laughs> hours of sleep. And then and then a year later you'll read on the internet it's supposed to only be four hours because there's been a new body research. How about wine? Is wine good for you? Is wine got antioxidants good for you to drink? Yes. The man that published that work that's been spread around the world has been charged with 128 counts of scientific fraud as of last month. Evidence completely concocted. And that is the main article that's cited over and over and over again for all the benefits of wine and how it's good for the heart and everything else. Massive fraud. Just got drummed out. Going to be charged with fraud. 128, 100, something like that. Something like that. Separate counts of scientific fraud. He must have had a lot of shares in wineries. Possibly, yes. It was it was it was a lot at stake. Pardon the pun. It's a far fetched pun. <laughs> Depends if you're talking about cows. Yeah. Or or hares. Yeah. Let's not split any. No. Oh, okay. Is that isn't that something? So this person was saying, I, ha- I, f- I have to have so many hours of sleep because the authority said so. Out of all the authorities could read, because I could find another site that said eight, another site that said six. And yogis, right, for th- say one or two. And in retreat situations, how many have been on a Goenka retreat or other retreats? Four? Five maybe? Six hours? How many times you heard you're supposed to have? Okay. So how did Galileo come up with a crater and describe it perfectly that wasn't there? It's easy. It's happening all the time in science. It's happening all the time in the arts. It's happening all the time in philosophy, in sociology, anthropology. Margaret Mead? Ever study Margaret Mead? Her works? Where did she get some of these ideas? It's how she asked the question. She wanted to have certain beliefs and things, sociologically, ethically, culturally, so she asked certain questions in certain ways. We studied this in anthropology. Margaret Mead's questions. And of course, I had to study, you know, we were studying psychological anthropology. How did she ask the questions? She asked the questions to get certain answers. And because the people she was interviewing on the in the island of Samoa and other places want to be pleasing to her, they gave her exactly what she wanted to hear. Yes, we all sleep together. 
Absolutely. Sex is just ubiquitous. We all, it's just a big open society of sexual enjoyment. Excellent. Free sexuality. People go back 30, 40 years and go ask questions in a different way. So how is it that you relate to each other? Well, we we bond with the same partner. For, you know, so, wait a minute. <laughs> if you come into a society with a certain set of beliefs, what are you going to see? Belief. Those belief systems. Do we have anything that we see, hear, taste, touch, or feel that is not a belief? Is any of it actually matter of fact? This is Dharma. This is what we call Vipassana, Mahamudra. We want to examine everything to cut through what? Delusion. What's the strongest force we have in us, according to Buddhist meditative tradition? Awija. Staying ignorant. Have you ever felt that in meditation? Have you ever felt that in life? Don't want to know. Ever felt that? Get into that. Has it come up for you in meditation? Mm -hmm. Where the mind feels so slippery, it slips out. It's looking and it goes like this. Anything but see that. Something comes up. Wow, that's a very interesting flower over there. That's when you turn back to look. That's when you force the body back to look because it wants nothing to do with the seeing. That's called Ouija. Not not just ignorance. Don't want to know. Don't want to see. The word Ouija is A-Ouija, non-seeing, non-knowing. Don't want to know, don't want to see, don't want to feel, don't want to go there. You know that expression now? Don't go there? You can try that, right? You're up. Don't go there. Do you have that expression down here? Don't go there. How do you feel? Don't go there. You don't feel very... Don't go there. You feel really good. Don't go there. That's too edgy. Don't go there. How many times a day does that happen? Not just because someone else is doing it to you, that you're going, don't look at that flower. When you walk down a path, how many things are missed in a path, walking down a path? Did you notice the orchid beside you? Do you notice the bird in the tree? It's a whole bunch of things. Not going to see it. Not going to see it. How about finding particles fast in the speed of light? We were rejoicing three months ago, right? Experiment in Europe. Shot neutrinos from CERN in Geneva, or near Geneva, French, the French border, all the way through 300 kilometers to a detector in Italy, in the mountains. Right? Particles going faster than the speed of light. People were like, wow, this is going to revolutionize physics and all this, right? And nobody could find any, loop, any, any holes in it. Have you heard a thing in the news lately? Well, you're in retreat. You shouldn't be. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Just testing, right? <laughs> Mm. Like, yeah, yeah, I did yesterday. No, oops. <laughs> That's because there's people, including the scientists on those teams, they're spending their days 
finding any hole that they can find in the research and doing it again and doing it again and doing it again because they're good scientists. Hundreds of times over and over and over and over again while people are challenging it and challenging and challenging it. The reason why you haven't heard anything lately is because it's slowly being eroded, those findings. Slowly. Slowly. But what's the belief system? We want fast and light particles. So guess what? We're likely going to find them. Does that mean it's real or not real? Don't know. Okay. A few other things here. All these kinds of examples, these psychological tests and these examples of the cards that you read because there's a little stem on the, on the heart so it becomes a spade, all these things are, are, is the extent to which our expectations influence what we see shape what we see. So the belief system shapes what we see. What else does it shape? Not only what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we touch, what else does it shape? Our interpretation. Pardon? The interpretation. Interpretation. Something closer to the bone, so to speak. What does belief shape? Hmm? What we want. What we want. Very good. What we want. What else? What is the greatest, most, for most people, what's the greatest clinging they have is around what? Their body. The appearance of their body. What does thought shape? Body. Thoughts manifested in the body. Yeah? How about this? Where you go in life is what you think. Where you'll end up is the belief system. So let's talk now about how important these assumptions are, these belief systems are. Is there anything that is removed from the assumptions, the beliefs, and the erroneous views permeating beings that shape their entire lives? Let's look at suffering now. Can you think of any exceptions? There aren't any. So the expression is, what you think about is what you are is very true. The beliefs that you hold is where you'll end up. That's exactly right. Anybody going to deny it? Can you see the evidence in your own life? Don't put yourself down. Just fact. What you think about, what you hold as belief systems, shapes the entire course of a life. Now someone's going to put it, but, but, but wait a minute, there was a war, but, 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 but wait a minute, there was my family, but, 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 right, isn't there, but, mm-hmm. but, 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 do you know of examples where you could have taken a different course, where you could have walked through a different door, made a different choice, or even when you're in a certain situation, had the creative presence to alter it? Yes? Mm-hmm. How about the person that goes, but there was no other possibility. Life, I was fated to do that. That was my karma. That was my only way. I'm locked in now. 
I don't have much money. I'm locked in. Yeah? And what would happen if they had the thought, well, I could go get some money so I'm not locked in, or I could do something else. Do you follow? The possibilities? That would be like being in a movie theater. Let's just talk about this. It'd be like being in a movie theater in a grade C movie or a grade D movie. And you say to yourself, I can't leave, I, I should stay. Would that be about right? Yeah. yeah. And there's an exit. And what's holding you up from walking through the exit and seeing another movie? Excuses. A belief system. Or someone telling you, oh, you have to stay. Or, I paid money. I paid my money. I paid $6 or 10 Was it $10 now? $11, $12, $16 for a movie? I paid all that money. I should stay. Ever seen a Michael Snow movie? No. Ever famous Michael Snow? He's a art, famous artist. I think he's a Canadian artist. He had a movie in the 1970s, early 70s, I went to watch. I was told it was four hours long. It's called Snow. No, it's called... Yeah, Michael Snow? It might have been called Snow. Or Arctic Scenery. So it was, it was, I was told it was an avant-garde movie. He put a tripod up in the, in the uh, north, northern regions, reaches of, the, of uh, uh, Quebec and a camera on it that went like this. Very slowly. For four hours. <laughs> and I think the whole purpose of the artwork was, are you going to leave? Because it was like... Not knowing, of course, if the scene will ever change. <laughs> and you know what? I'm told later, I walked out, I'm told later, no, it never <laughs> did, in fact, at all. Okay? <laughs> okay, so the experiment with the altered cards is a very good experiment to, to, to do. It would be lovely for us to, but you can't, I can't do it because you, you can't know their doctor to do this, okay? So you're, you're ruined. But I hope you have enough examples that show you the fact with these psychological experiments, rather, this is, this is worth writing, so you, you get it. This, I want you to look at this. I want you to find examples during the day of this. Okay, it's a good statement. It's a really good insight statement. Rather than believing what they saw, they saw what they believed they would see. Okay? Rather than believing what they saw, they saw what they believed they would see. What a lovely sentence. Like that. I like, I like sentences like that. You can use that for contemplation. You can use that for insight meditation. Mm. 
We don't even know. We, we, what we do is we can substitute words. Rather than believing what consciousness sees, consciousness sees what it believes it should see. Don't take, take, take you out of there. Because then you'll put I don't see properly. Right? Yeah, is that right? I don't see properly. Take the personal, emotional stuff out of there. Consciousness sees what it believes it needs or wants to see. How many times a day? It's important. Catch, get, make a collection. The other thing that's important to understand, it's why it's worth studying history, is that our belief systems change throughout history. So studying history is a relatively good, both intellectual and at a depth level, to start to crack the feeling that the only way to see the world and the universe is how it's been painted for you in this time and place. Let's, let's, should we enumerate things right now? Belief systems about what in the last 20, 30 years of our lives. Can we, can we put some up that are going to crumble at some point? They're just temporary Western North American cultural belief systems. What are they? Can you enumerate any? That we hold without ever thinking about it all. Governments have our interests at heart. Beautiful. Governments have our interests at heart. What else? Or politicians have our government, our, our interests at heart. Or, or bureaucrats. Okay, there's one. Some do, some don't. Yes? How about others? Yes? Uh, being you, uh, young is more important. Being young is more important. Any others? Let's just put them up there. Come on. Women can't do math. Women can't do math and they can't read maps. <laughs> so I'd add that. It's okay. I've, got, I, I, I've met some males that can't either. It's like... Any others? Police forces can be trusted. Police forces can be trusted? Mm-hmm. Okay, any others? Bigger is better. Or Pardon? Bigger and faster is better. Bigger and faster is better. Just yeah. just take a look. Can't live without my cell phone. Can't live without my cell phone? Yes. Major things, major things. Things that are deep within the fabric of our belief system. Things you do will not want to give up or shift. Maybe not so much you, but the entire... How about the way our economy is? This is the only way to have an economy. Corporate structure. Marriage. Money. Food. Clothing. Just go through it. Go through it. It's culture dependent. So what you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you feel is completely tainted by a cultural time and place. So when we look back at history, if you all study history, look back at history and you go, were they weird or what? In 50 years, you're going to look back at some of us and go, they were preposterously weird, what they believed. Yeah? You know they carried these things around all the time? And their, and their postures became... You know, millions and millions of people develop postural problems because of walking around like this. And how come they just don't have implants? You're right. 
That would be the cultural meaning. Yeah, just implants. <laughs> it's going that way. Because people are working on that, so you don't actually have to have anything. It's just implanted in your brain. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they're working on that. It's major, major research right now. How to just put the chip right in so there's a biological chip interface. It's easy, it's cheap. Everybody could have one. Hmm. (laughs) Not only how we interpret what we see can change with history, what we see in the very same object may change as well. So not only do we see through a cultural lens, a historical lens that may only last 30 or 40 years, but that change of belief can also shift within minutes. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you, not just so you get it, of how pervasive this is, why it is the delusion is pervasive. But I'm also painting a picture of hope for you that you can snap right out of it. Some of you have experienced snapping out of it, actually. Some people in this room have experienced temporarily snapping right out of it. Just need to do more of it. More. You already destroyed the benefits of wine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but guess what? In two or three years, someone may reproduce that research or do it differently and go, oh, it's back again. Yeah, it's actually very good for you. Yeah. My doctor told me you can, they have put in capsules now whatever was beneficial in red wine. Based, based on that based on that research. But your doctor may actually not know or may not read or whatever about that research. All kinds of things happen that way. It might be five or six years now. Oh, by the way, you know, like glucosamine? And that uh, was it, glucosamine? Chondritin? Any evidence for that helping with arthritis? Zero. Absolutely, not one study. Has it, <coughs> not one. Not one. They keep trying? Zero. Absolutely zero. But the belief still goes on and they still don't take off from the capsules, from the packaging, that it has absolutely no effect on arthritis at all. Glucosamine, chondritin. Yeah. But the interesting thing on that when you give it to an animal like a dog and three months later the owner says now Fluffy can run up the stairs yes then you go what's functioning in Fluffy that's not functioning in it just makes it more complex but what happens when you have 500 Fluffies (laughs) well they do those experiments theoretically to get us to buy these products to push to our clients but they don't they don't do them well enough. So in other words, let's, let's, now I wanted to raise this tonight, not much more time, but I want to raise this. I want you to consider this. The human being has something built into it which so desperately wants to have a story. Do you all know that? Mm-hmm. It, it will take one shred of evidence, one little bit of evidence, and make a story out of it. Two makes a better story, right? Three makes a better story, but we can cost a toy. We can toss. We can cost. We can toss a, to- a coin. We can cost a coin. <laughs> we can cost. We can toss a coin over and over and over again. Yes, and by chance, 
have three, four, five, six things line up perfectly. Do you know that? But something in human behavior, consciousness, can take one or two abnormalities, two or three faces in wood, and make up a whole story about it. So Fluffy. Let's get back to Fluffy now. My Fluffy took whatever, such and such pill, grapeseed ice, whatever it is, whatever it is, and got better in a few months. So you hear that story, right, as a, as a veterinarian. You go, okay, cool. And someone comes in later because everybody's taking uh, glucosamine and chondroitin. Everybody's saying it. Lots of people, right? It's being prescribed. My Fluffy, after six months or two months or after a day, got better. What's wrong with the picture? You see, you're not well studied in statistics and scientific methodology. What's wrong with the picture? All that can happen by chance. And all that can happen by other causal circumstances that have nothing to do with that pill. And it happens all the time. And it happens all the time in our experience. And it happens all the time in science. That's why major studies need to be done again and again and again and again and again. But we so desperately want a story. We so desperately want to solve something with one explanation that we leap on it much to the chagrin of many scientists who do one experiment and say at the end of their results section and conclusion, we have preliminary evidence, we have some tentative evidence that there is a causal relationship, but further work needs to be done. What does the news media say? Definite connection. Definite connection, when there's none at all. Yeah. Is that partly what the placebo effect is? Just, well, I mean, maybe not for a dog, but you believe it's going to work. And yeah, and the placebo effect is a very real, strong, and worthwhile effect to use. And there's a movement in medicine now to actually use the placebo effect as a major drug effect. It's that powerful. It's also less expensive. Will Fluffy have behaved just to make a placebo for the owner? We don't know. The possibility is the owner believed it, so Fluffy believes it. That's possible. Yeah, But it also could be uh, many other causes. The owner doesn't know it, but they changed Fluffy's diet. The owner doesn't remember it, but they massaged Fluffy's uh, hips three times a day. Whatever it is, or they, or they raise the temperature in the room. Who knows what the possibility is? It's very difficult to isolate those. So that's why I said 500 Fluffies, all with controls, Maybe we'll see something. Right? You see? But it's very easy, and medicine's full of this, by the way, where a number of people see a pattern and now prescribe that pattern, but it may take 20 or 30 years to see that pattern was never there. It was actually due to something else. I want you to look at this and examine if you can see the assumptions in your life that are based on nothing more than a story that's been told to you. I'm telling you a story. I'm telling you stories twice a day, correct? Mm -hmm. The only difference I hope you feel is that all the stories may be partial view, except they're directing your mind where? To liberation. That's the difference. So if you tell me, well, I disagree because I found out the facts are different, I'll go, great, congratulations. 
But that's not the purpose of what I'm teaching here. The purpose is freedom from illusory belief, especially around self and phenomena. By the way, that doesn't mean that eventually some study will be done and chondroitin glucosamine turns out to be effective. Right now, there's nothing at all. One after the other, study after another, zero, zero, zero. Do you have the guts to do this? If you are a true yogi and yogini, you'll have the guts to examine everything you've got going and go, how do I actually know that? Do I? Is it just a figment of belief systems? Not because you're trying to slay dragons, but because you're trying to get closer and closer to the origin of suffering. What's the origin of suffering? Clinging to belief systems causes suffering. Do you see how this is working? Break down a few and they start to tumble. Where's the point we want to reach? We want to get so precise with our insight that we're now aiming the cannon, if you wish, the arrow, the arrow of insight, the sword of insight, at what? The nature of belief and the nature of this self-experience and the nature of clinging. Right at it. That's how it's busted apart. Right at it. We need, a, we need to do it again and again and again and again and again until the release happens. But you won't believe it. You won't believe it because I say it. Well, you might. If you had really good devotion, you might. Westerners not so good at that. Right? Some people with great devotion, Lama says it, they go, absolutely. Go for it. They go for it. But even using these interpretations, we may realize the force of our assumptions about what we see in shaping what we actually see. The force of assumptions, the force of beliefs. The force of superimposition. Do you, do you all know what that means? Superimposition. If you really practice in this retreat, you will see thousands of superimpositions of consciousness. Thousands. You'll get the evidence. It'll start to come in. The force of superimposition does not just allow the viewer to read images of animals into patterns of an essentially random nature. It can also project images without any apparent foundation at all. Dark retreat. absolutely vivid and real. But it's dark. Very important. It can also project images without any apparent foundation at all, as in the case of the Bohemian Crater. How many times in a day and at night dreaming where there's no foundation for the image, the belief, the experience at all. Except for what? What's the foundation? That's what you need to find out. That's the defining point of liberation. What's the basis for all of this? 
What's the basis? That's what you need to find it by direct experience. Where's all this come from? See, so it doesn't matter that there's projection, is does it? There's not doesn't matter that there's illusion. You have to trace it down to the basis so you're not fooled. You're not bewildered. Now I'm speaking purely Buddhist meditative tradition. No longer fooled by the illusion because you've traced it down to the root. What's the root? That's the question, the most fundamental question you must ask. What's the root of the illusion? Not collecting illusions. Collecting illusions we do to become convinced. Then we need to apply insight to go, where does all this stem from? What's the foundation? Let me read this again for you. He doesn't give an answer here. But let me read it again. It can also, it, what is it? It can also project images without any apparent foundation at all, as in the case the Bohemian Crater. Now I'm going to, that's the end of this chapter. Well, I'm ending it. But I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with this. A couple of things. When you look at the moon or an object in the undisturbed water, where's the basis for the experience? That's the important question. That's what's missed. Okay, let me ask you another one. These are all contemplations for you, to move you to insight, not just observation. When you look at the blue sky, and then suddenly there is a wisp of cloud, what's the basis? Are you getting it? How is it that the moon is reflected in the water? How is it that the cloud comes out of the sky? How is it that the cloud goes back in the sky? That's the important part. That's insight meditation. Not, I'm watching 400 clouds, 5,000. I've been watching clouds go, go, come and go for 20 years. And I'm a sage. I've got a, you know why they're sage? They've got a very long white beard. And they look like this. They have incredible concentration. So what? How is it that a cloud can come out of the sky and disappear back in the sky? How is it that an image of the moon can appear perfectly real in a calm pond or a lake? That's what you must look at. And if you break through that, you've cracked suffering, illusion. Okay? I'll leave that with you tonight. I can answer it for you, <coughs> but I want you to explore it. That's the fundamental question. So the moon in the water is not just the moon in the water. It means something much more profound. It's not just about illusion. It's about the... It's as close as you can get. If you, if you actually meditate on the moon in the water, it's so close to the nature of reality. It's how everything manifests. It's the root. But it is on the outer level. But it's so close. This is the beautiful thing about, about the outer keys of Dharma. They're really 
close. You just got to turn it. It's like a puzzle for you. Maybe for some it is not. How can the moon be reflected? How can the water reflect the tree? Perfectly. Same reason. How does the mirror reflect the image perfectly? No matter what's placed by the lake, it gets reflected. Isn't that right? Including you, when you look in and you see your face, wow, that's me. How does that happen? How is it that any kind of object can be perfectly in detail, with high resolution, be completely reflected in a body of water or in a mirror? Reflect on us. And you'll get to the root. You'll get to the root. So tomorrow, see you at uh, then. We're, then then uh, the after tomorrow, a full day of practice to take all this, find out what you want to work with, one or two themes, and go for it. Go for it all day long. See you tomorrow. By this powerful activity, may it lead to cessation of suffering for all beings. Idante punikamang asawaki wango du idante punikamang asawaki wango du idante punikamang. Asawaki Wahang Ho Tu. May all beings be healthy and happy. May all beings be established in a continuum of freedom, the perfect union of wisdom and compassion. Saramangalam, Saramangalam, Saramangalam. Many blessings, many blessings, many blessings.